This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with the message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled Love and Hope, and it comes from 1 John 3, 1 through 3. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gifts. So won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648. And there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Or you can donate using the WMER app right there on the Donate button. Or you can mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS-approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com or catch us wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're there too with us, iTunes or Spotify or Google or Amazon. Just search for WMER Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Well, if you're just joining us, we've been studying through the book of 1 John. And we saw in the book of 1 John chapter 1, where John introduced at the beginning was Jesus, just like he did in the book of John. He says not only was Jesus here and he was the word of life, but the apostles saw him. I saw him. I heard him. I saw him. I touched him. I can testify. I'm a good eyewitness. And the reason why he goes through this is because Gnosticism had creeped into the church. Most of the apostles are dead as, as he's writing this. And so these other teachers have come into the church and they're adding to the gospel to benefit themselves. And he's saying they don't know Jesus. They weren't there and they're adding to it. They're a false teacher and we got to that later. And then he went into that God is light and how that we should walk in the light because there is no darkness and light. And if Jesus is in us, if the Holy Spirit has come to live inside of us, then we have the light in us and that we should be living out the righteous life that Jesus would want us to live. Again, this is pointing at Gnosticism that was teaching you can live however you want to as long as your spiritual life is okay, the flesh can do what it wants. And that's not what the Bible teaches. And then in chapter two, we saw a couple of things. One, that we had an advocate and that he gave us one of the purposes of why he wrote this so that we wouldn't sin. And then he talked about our restoration, how we had an advocate who paid the ultimate price. He was the atonement for our sin. And that was Jesus Christ. And that we should have confidence in our advocate. And then we looked at don't be a stumbling block. And he talked again about that there really wasn't a new commandment because Jesus had been teaching this. And he was saying, don't cause your brother to stumble. He talked about the different stages and how we all need this commandment and that we need to live out the commandment and then we looked at don't love the world there we saw that the lust of the eye the lust of the flesh and the pride of life are really areas that will take us down he told us that no one was good that we're all fall short and therefore we need jesus and as we accept him in there we have that hope 
And then last week we looked at the last hour, how there were Antichrist with the capital A and then little a Antichrist. And those were the false teachers that he's been talking about. And he's really saying that we need to live out Jesus in our life. That we have an anointing from the Holy Spirit that can help us live a righteous life if we will die to ourselves. Jesus said that, that we need to die to ourselves and we need to take up the cross and we need to follow him. Well, today we're going to pick up in love and hope. And we're going to see the three hopes that we have because we have Jesus inside of us. When I think about hope, I think about just worldly illustrations of hope. Nothing gives you more false hope than the first day of your diet when you feel like you've overcome the problem that's made you gain that extra weight. You feel good, but then within a couple of days, what do we normally do? We normally fall off the bandwagon of the diet. Another famous quote I remember hearing as I was growing up that there is hope for any man who can look in a mirror and laugh at what he sees. And the other hope message that I always heard was hope is the oxygen of the soul. Because of our hope, then we have a reason and our soul thrives. Here's one that I found while I was preparing for this lesson. I think it's a great statement for modern day. A lot of people no longer hope for the best. They just hope to avoid the worst. Well, we're going to see today that we have more hope than a couple of these slang sayings that I've pointed out to you. We're going to see that everyone who has hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And that's right out of verse 3. So with that said, turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. We'll start in verse 1 and I'll be reading out of the ESV. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Well, you might say, Tim, right there in verse 3, it says, Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so the question would ask, where does this hope come from? And how can we get it and get more of it? Well, the first thing we see is in verse 1. We see that the hope comes from knowing God or the hope in God's love. He starts off with, see what kind of love the Father has given us or what you could say is, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us? See, those who know God have great hope because of the love that he gives to us and he lavishes on us. If you look at that word, behold or see, what it really means is don't miss this. It's observable. It's an object fact. See, what John is trying to teach the reader and what we should see is that we don't need to just go right by this. Sometimes we read this and we skip, but what he is saying is that here's something important that we need to live by daily. We are the children of God, and because we are God's children, the world is foreign to us. The world does not know or understand us because we want to be like Jesus. We should be living like Jesus. And one day we'll see him face to face, and this is the hope that derives us to purify us. King David understood this. If you look back at 2 Samuel 7, 18, listen to what David says. The King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? Here's David pouring out his heart to God and saying, Who am I that you bless me so? And you might be going, well, Tim, I've not been blessed. I'm not a king. I don't have all the riches. I don't have everyone given to me. Well, David, even though he had all that, 
had a lot of insecurity. He felt abandoned at times. He felt rejected. He fought daily battles in the mind, and we see that through Psalms. But what we see is David knew, and what John's trying to teach us is that we are God's children. Not because of anything we've done, not because that we're good, not because of anything other than we are God's children because he loves us. He lavishes love on us. We need to understand that we went from being a child of the darkness, a child of the devil, to a child of the light, of the Most High. The devil was our father and when we lived in the world. And that's what Ephesians teaches us in Ephesians 2. We were the walking dead. But when Jesus knocked on our heart, when the Holy Spirit opened up our eyes, we became adopted by God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so understand, behold this, the love of God is poured out on us. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us? See, God's love is unconditional. He loves us no matter whether we respond to the cross or not. But as children of God, we become adopted. We become his children when we respond to the cross. John 15.10 says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. If we want the blessings of God, then we have to keep his commandments. We have to abide in his love. Jude, verses 20 and 21 says, But you, beloved, building yourself up on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. We have to respond. Our obedience is a command that God has sent us, and we need to respond by being obedient. Now, we are saved through grace, by faith, but then because we're saved and we understand why we're saved, we see the works follow and we start abiding in his word. We keep his word. We no longer want to live the same way. We become a new creature. The old creature has gone away. That's what 1 Corinthians teaches us. We have hope in God's love because Jesus didn't come just to die for our sins, but to restore the relationship that existed back in the garden between God and man and man and woman. True Christian experience must always include a genuine encounter with God. When Hagar was cast out from Sarah and Abraham's presence, she was alone in the desert and an angel appeared to her. We see in Genesis 16 that she called out the name of the Lord who spoke to her. And she says, you are the God who sees. And right at the end of verse 13, she says that, have I also here seen him who sees me? And so like Hagar, you and I have to understand that he's not just the God who sees, but he's the God who sees me. He knows the number of the hairs on my head. That's how much he loves me. One of my brother Nate's favorite verses, and I love it too, is Psalms 139, 17, and 18. It says, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. God thinks about you so much. You are the apple of his eye. And he thinks about you so much that they outnumber the grains of the sand. Think about how many grains of sand when you just pick up a hand of sand at the beach. And God thinks about you more than that. So today, understand his love for you is more than just a God who sees, but he's a God who sees you. Well, you might ask him, how much does God really love me then? Well, this lavish thing that God has done for us, 
really is described in Romans 5.8 where he says, But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The world doesn't see that, but we understand, and we should understand the love in that one statement. That when we didn't love him, he still loved us and he went to the cross and died for us to restore that relationship that was lost when Adam and Eve ate of the apple in the garden. And John wants them to understand how great is the love of the Father that he's lavished on us, that he's given to us, that we are called a child of God. And if you've accepted Jesus Christ in your heart, that is what you are. You are a child of God. The reason the world doesn't know us is that they didn't know him. That's what it says. John 1.12, Yet to all who receive him, to those that believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Why should you have hope with God's love? Well, when we become a children of God, understand that God is now our Father. Understand that there is nothing that he can't do. There is no authority that is higher than God, greater than God, and he's our Father, and he bestows his lavish love on us. Think about that. The God who created the universe, the God who created the earth, the mountains and the seas and the animals, he loves us and we are his child. And so you may ask, well, Tim, I want to trust him more. How can I do that? How do I get to know him more? Well, one is we need to just stop for a moment and think about all the things that God has done, the works of God, all the miracles that he does around us, how many times that he does things that we don't give him credit for. Second thing is we need to look and go to his word. His word will teach us how to get to know him more. We see his nature. We see his love. We see his commandments. We have to get in God's word. And then the last thing is, is through prayer time, spending time, having that personal relationship, telling him things that he already knows, but we have a relationship. Again, I gave this illustration before. If you and your wife spent time apart and you did not talk, that relationship would become stagnant. It would, would not grow. It would actually die. And so God wants that relationship with us, and he sent his son to die on the cross to restore that. And then he says in verse 2 that this hope grows when we become more like Christ. If you want to keep your hope alive, then we have to walk in that hope. We have to keep that relationship going. As long as we're becoming more like Christ, we're keeping the hope alive. Dying hope will make us more like the world. When we stay away from the Word, when we don't spend time in prayer, when we don't go to church and have fellowship with like believers, those are the things that make us look more like the world instead of looking more like God. And so our living hope will make us more like Christ. Now, at various times, our hope is going to be tested. The world will test it. Even the silence of God will test it. And what we need to remember is when we're in these tests that God is always in control. It's not a surprise to him. Even in his silence doesn't mean that he's upset with us, but we need to learn a lesson that he's trying to teach us. But I love the way verse 2 ends. With the second half of the verse say, But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And so we need to understand that we don't need to lose our hope. Because in everything, God is using it somehow to make us more like Christ. That's what Romans 8.28 said. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, this is a promise that's given to us, but it has a condition to this promise. First, we have to love him. We can't just love the world 
That, that doesn't mean this is for everybody. This is for those who love him and also have been called according to his purpose. We have to be striving after his purpose. His purpose is that we are going to follow his commandments. And he'll take whatever situation we are in, and he'll make it to the good, even though we may not be able to see it. And then it also says that we shall seem as he is. We have hope that allows us to see God. There are a lot of Christians I know that have spiritual amnesia. See, they know God in the good times, but when things get tough, when things are bad, they don't know God or they forget about God or they can't see God. Mature Christians can see God in the good and the bad. I remember trying to explain this to the kids in kids' church at Crossgates. And I was telling them about a time that I was sitting in the Dallas airport and the rain is raining. It's gloomy outside. You can't see anything but this overcast, dark, dreary day with rain coming down. And I go and get on my plane, and as we take off, we go through the clouds, and as we get up through the clouds, all of a sudden, the sun is shining. Even though you couldn't see it from the ground, the sun is always shining. God is always there. He's always shining. Even when I couldn't feel it, the love was there. God's love was shining. For those that have been married for some time, you have to admit, there are days you wake up where you can't feel love. But you know that the love is there. I know my wife loves me and I love my wife, even though there are days where I don't feel loved by her. See, I believe in love even when the feeling's not there. And we can't live off of feeling. And so the same thing. I believe in God even when I can't see him in the situation I'm in. I believe in God even when I can't feel him in the situation I'm in. It just makes me want to dig in the word more. It makes me want to pray more. It makes me want to spend more time with him and try to understand, God, what are you teaching me in this situation? And so now look how he wraps up in verse 3. He says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And here he is actually pointing back the separation of the world and our walk in Christ, our walk in the light that we looked at earlier. Remember in 1 John 2, 15-16, where he says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it is not of the Father, but it is of the world. See, this language is plain. It's not to confuse anyone, but it should open our eyes. See, it's not a problem understanding what John's trying to get here. Here he's talking about our hope purifies us because if we have hope in him, then our hope's not in the world. And he's saying that it really boils down to faith and obedience. See, the words of God are not for our consideration. We don't get to pick and choose. This is not a cafeteria where we get to go through and say, I'll take this, but I don't want that. No, if we believe, then we follow and we obey. And it really boils down to this one statement. We have no right to claim the title that we are a child of God unless we're going to follow his commandments, unless we're going to be like him, unless we're going to try to resemble him. And so, what does purify even mean, and how do we purify ourselves? Well, there's many words for pure in the Greek language. John uses the word for pure, hagonos, and what that really means is being ceremonially clean, not defiled, holy, sacred. If you go back to the Old Testament, the Levitical priests of the ancient Israel were required to 
be without physical defect and a ritual purity before performing their duties. They had to become ritually pure. They followed strict guidelines related to the physical condition when going before God in the temple. They couldn't do their duties if they had not purified themselves. If you go read one of your favorite books in the Bible, Leviticus, in chapter 21, it outlines these requirements for purity that God required for these priests to do. A descendant of Aaron had to be pure, unspotted, without physical defects before they could offer a sacrifice or an offering to God. These defects included blindness, lameness, a marred face, a limb too long, a broken foot, a broken hand, hunchback, dwarfed, a defective eye, eczema, a scab, or even castration. They really can be put into four categories. Either an injury, deformity, disease, or surgery. The priest could not go near the veil or approach the altar if they had a defect which was profaning God's sanctuary. They were making the sanctuary unclean. These defects represented the effect of sin. Even when the temple was completed in 515 B.C., the priests followed the instruction given by God back in Leviticus to purify themselves. Look at Ezra 6:20. For the priests and the Levites had purified them, all of them were ritually clean. Purification came by offering sacrifices as sin offerings and continuing obedience in God's law. Some of you are going, well, Tim, that's Old Testament. Well, in the New Testament church, God is calling out for us to be new spiritual priests. Peter says that we are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now a people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have attained mercy. Peter was inspired to write this in 1 Peter 2, where he says we are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. So we have to be pure as the priests were pure. Why is it important to understand about the Levitical priest? Because they were a shadow of God's spiritual priesthood that we are. We are cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, but we also have to be continually purified through a sanctification process. What does that mean? That means that we have to die to ourselves. We have to come out of the world and we have to strive to sin no more. We can't live openly in sin. We can't choose sin. The Bible teaches us in 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18, Therefore come out from among them and be separated, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Coming out of the world is a requirement for the child of God. God has called us to be pure as he is pure. We have to live a righteous life. We are to clean our life up. We can't live a sloppy life just like Gnosticism taught back in the first century. In the book of Titus, chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, it says, To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, but even in their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him. Again, they don't live it out. They profess to know God. They call themselves Christians, but their works deny him. I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot like a bunch of Christians I know in the church today. They say they know God, but their works deny him. If you look at how they live their life and how the world lives their life, there is no separation. They've not come out of the world. As a person of science, gold is not pure. The way gold becomes pure is through a fire process. And God is sending us through a fire process at times to refine us. 
If we run from one thing that God tells us to do to another process, we'll never reach the level of purification that God requires for us. We need to let the Spirit bring out our impurity so that we can be pure as He is pure. In Ephesians 5, 26, it says that He might sanctify and cleanse her, that He's talking about the church, that He may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by word. One of the ways that we are purified is being washed with water by reading God's Word, allowing God's words to cleanse us, to prick us with this Holy Spirit pricks us in areas of our life when we start studying his word. Let the word of God have its way. When you read something, when you hear something, when a friend tells you something, whether it's the correction or whether it's instruction, let that word have its way in you. Let the conviction be a good thing in you and purify you. I'm out of time, so let me close with this final thought. Every Christian is called to a costly sacrifice. We have to deny ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean tweaking your behavior here and there. No, it's saying no to your deepest sense of who you are for the sake of Christ. We have to take up our cross. That means we declare our life His, not ours. We give up our life. It's laying down our life for the very reason that our life is to be used by Him and for what He wants us to do. It's not our decision, it's His. It belongs to Jesus. He made it. And through his death, he bought our life. Some of you are out there going, well, Tim, I don't have a big problem. We all have a problem. Yeah, maybe you don't have a sexual addiction. Maybe you don't have an addiction to alcohol. But maybe you have a lying problem. Maybe you have a money problem. See, all of these things, when we get into God's word, shows us areas of our life that we need purification in. I don't care where you are in your walk. The gospel teaches that we have to give up everything. It demands everything out of all of us. If you think that your walk is what the gospel says and that there's not a whole lot you need to do, that it's really easy, then I'm going to challenge you that you've not made the true commitment to follow Jesus. I'm not here to be able to say whether you're saved or not, but I'm telling you that we have to change our lifestyle. We become a new creature. Everything in us changed. It's no longer about us. It's all about Jesus. But if we do have Jesus, we have hope. See, God calls us his children. God says we are his sons and daughters. We should rejoice in that. And as we see right here, don't be surprised that the world doesn't understand that. Also, don't beat yourself up because we're growing towards the spiritual. Also, don't beat yourself up. We're growing towards this spiritual purity, little by little. Sanctification is a process. It's not an overnight success. It's our duty now as God's beloved children to start preparing ourselves for God's kingdom by purifying our hearts, purifying our minds so that we will one day stand before God the Father and look a lot more like Jesus. Will you do that? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord, and we thank you for this time together. And Lord, we thank you that you have called us your children. Lord, and we need to understand how you have poured your love out for us, how you sent your son, your only begotten son, to die on a cross for our sins. Yet when we didn't even love you, you loved us. And how you lavished that love out for us. And in return, you call us to be your children. And to do that, we need to live like you. We need to have a resemblance of you. We need to look like the family we belong to. 
And dear Heavenly Father, I just ask right now that those that are listening, they understand your love. They understand that we are your children. And that as we live this hope that you give us, that one day you're coming back, as it says right here, that you're going to appear and then we will be able to see you and we will be like you. Lord, I pray for the one that showed up today, that their life doesn't look like you. Lord, the places where the Holy Spirit is knocking on their heart, I pray right now that they would lay it at your feet. They would ask for forgiveness. Lord, that they would strive for this sanctification process that they would understand it's not an overnight success, but it's a process, and that they would try to be more pure little by little, day by day. And Lord, I pray for the one that doesn't know you. Lord, I pray today that they would admit they're a sinner. They'll believe on your finished work on the cross and how you overcame death. And Lord, they will confess you with their mouth. Lord, they will follow your commandments and they will chase after you. Lord, right now, we just thank you for all the many blessings you give us. Lord, I pray a blessing right now over each and every one listening. For it's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.